Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I am your host, Donna Bishop. And today I am joined by two incredible women. 11 years ago, Kelly Drennan founded Fashion Takes Action, a not-for-profit organization devoted to making change in the fashion industry. She has given hundreds of presentations to industry, academics, and consumers in the hopes to raise awareness for responsible consumption and production and for human rights in the fashion industry. Through this, she has earned respect from global leaders, industry colleagues, and media, and she has most recently been recognized as a Canadian environmental leader with the esteemed Clean 50 Award for her work in education and awareness, and is the first recipient for this award within the fashion industry. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And Kelly has worked with Sarah J since 2007. Sarah is the longest collaborator and creative director of Fashion Takes Action and brings over 15 years of experience in all areas of fashion media. Her styling work has been published internationally in Harper's Bazaar, Vogue.com, Fashion, El Canada, InStyle, just to name a few. And her television credits include Canada's Next Top Model, Eat Yourself Sexy, Lookalike, and Project Runway with celebrity clients including Fergie, Adam Levine, Penelope Cruz, and Justin Beaver, and a previous producer, uh, associate producer, pardon me, of The Green Shows in New York. Sarah continues to be and play an influential role in supporting ethical fashion internationally, as well as focusing on personal care product safety and labeling efficacy. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. I'm thrilled to be here. So today we are going to take a dive into the very meaty, important, timely topic of fashion and sustainability, as fas- especially as it relates to fashion revolution, which we'll get to in a sec. But first, I'm going to start the way I always start with asking you guys, please share a moment when fashion changed your life, when it was something that started to play an influential role. And Sarah, I am going to start with you. Um, I grew up in the 80s watching video hits and music plus. And it was apparent early on for me that fashion was an important tool uh, in performance and in being your best self and feeling empowered. Um, And I was the kid who danced in the air that comes out of the vacuum as my sort of wind machine. It's your personal wind machine. (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah. And so fashion for me is a feeling. It's that feeling of you know, feeling empowered and, and comfortable in my own skin. And, and maybe a little bit um, of an influence for me was maybe watching my mom get dressed for square dancing and her baby blue petticoat that I just thought she should wear every day. Oh, my goodness. We'll talk more about that <laughs> offline. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Kelly, what about you? Yeah, I think, you know, my first love of fashion began at the age of 13 when my parents sent me off to finishing school and How I, retro. Uh, I know, totally, <laughs> totally 80s as well, and suburb, suburbia. Um, and I, uh, and then I eventually became uh, a model and did uh, and did lots of the uh, the suburban mall shows. Um, but yeah, just getting that uh, that sort of those connect the connection with clothing that I probably would never wear or could afford, but um, being able to really have fashion as a way to express uh, sort of similar to. Say, in terms of that emotion and that feeling. And so, um, yeah, so it's sort of just kind of evolved from there, I'd say. I love it. 
I, I share that feeling of the, the the thrill of what it feels like to put on different clothes. Now, you've uh, Kelly, I'm going to start with you because Fashion Takes Action is something that you started 11 years ago. So what was the moment that inspired you to start Fashion Takes Action? And can you tell us a little bit about what that organization is so we have context for as we move into our discussion. Sure. So I had been doing fashion, PR, and uh, events production for a number of years, um, and even going back into advertising. So I'd been involved in the fashion industry for a while, probably about eight or nine years. And then I had two daughters and um, and always had an inner hippie, you know, always sort of practiced yoga and ate vegetarian and um, loved camping in the outdoors. And <clears throat> really seeing an inconvenient truth uh, at the time when I had these two young babies, I think for me was my first real aha moment where I realized that I had, there was an inner calling. I had to do something and what did I know and how could I contribute? And I knew fashion and I thought fashion could be a really fun way to really express the need for a uh, change in consumption and 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 the whole industry side of things as well. So that's really how it started. We did a Green Gala fashion show at, in 2007. And that's one of the first times you and Sarah worked together, mm-hmm. correct? Was that Green Gala? Well, it was just after the Green Gala. Mm-hmm. So we were invited to do sort of a, a reprise at Fashion Week. Um, and so Sarah J was the stylist on, uh, on that show, which was only like a month after mm-hmm. we did the original Green Gala. So yes, yeah, so we We've been together for almost the entire time, yeah. um, and uh, and so now Fashion Takes Action has evolved into a members-based organization. So we do work with industry, brands, designers, retailers, um, but we also work with consumers. And our mandate is to change the way we create and consume fashion because we realized early on if we weren't helping consumers understand um, and raising awareness and, and educating them about the benefits of sustainable fashion and the impacts of conventional fashion, then it really wasn't helping the industry. So we sort of look at ourselves as, as, sort, as being kind of both having one foot in industry and one foot on the consumer side. And Sarah, as a stylist, I mean, you were steep, steep, steeped in the fashion industry. And I know, you know, we've talked before about how you 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 didn't set out to be an activist. So what was the shift for you? How did you come to to be passionate about this? And what were what are some of the the impacts of fashion that really made you say, oh, my gosh, like I've got to I've got to do something? Mm hmm. Um, I think I've earned my awareness coming through my own excessive consumption personally and professionally. And, you know, it comes from just asking yourself, where is all this clothing coming from? Where is it all going? Why does it smell this way? Why is it off-gassing? And what are what are the effects of that on the people who, who are making our clothes? I read a stat just yesterday, actually, that said that the average North American woman has five hundred over $500 worth of unworn clothes in their closet at all times. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And all that does, I mean, it's just clutter that prevents you from you know, being able to find or access or wear the things that you really love that are worth investing in, that are worth keeping. Um, you know, and I think we're seeing a, a shift away from so much stuff, so much meaningless stuff. And, and I think clutter is certainly a big part of it. Um, but let's drill down a little bit more because someone who's listening who might not know anything about the the impact of the fashion industry has on our, on our planet and on and on the humans who work in it. Um, 
Kelly, what are some of the impacts that you find really powerful? Like when people say to you, oh, come on, like really doesn't matter that much. How do you help them understand just the, the gravity of fashion and and the environment? Yeah, uh, well, fashion is the second largest polluting industry after oil. And um, I so, find that so yeah. the first time I heard that, I was stunned. Weren't you, Sarah? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, shocking. And I think there's even, you know, um, people who question that. But when you really kind of drill it down and you look at the sort of five areas that, that we focus on, energy, label, to- toxic chemicals, waste, and water. And those are the sort of I, I, the big five. There's a lot of other issues going on. But um, for, and I'll give you an example sort of within each of these categories. So textile waste is um, not only an industry issue, it's actually a, a consumer issue as well. <clears throat> and what we do with our clothing uh, when we're done with it um, has a huge impact on the environment. Um, we're actually purchasing 400 times more clothing today than we did in the 80s. And what does that mean in terms of environmental impact or off-gassing or what are we doing with all that stuff? Because we're purchasing so much, consuming so much, um, we're disposing it uh, at, a, at a much higher rate than we used to. We used to invest in our wardrobe and quality pieces that would last us years. Um, and now you wear something a few times and uh, you're done with it. And um, 85% of our used clothing is ending up in landfill. And why that's a problem, I mean, the average person might not think that's a, that's a big deal. Yep. But actually, um, for every kilogram of textile waste in landfill, uh, it produces four kilograms of CO2. So from uh, a national you know, carbon reduction strategy, um, as, a, as a country, we need to be reducing our, our carbon footprint. And this is a huge one for, for consumers. And can you paint a picture for what that looks like? Like a kilogram of clothing, is that like five pairs of jeans? Is it enough to fill kind of like a shoebox? Like, and, 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 and what does that statistic about the off-gassing, what is that, is that the same as like a car? How do, how, how do we create a more accurate picture for people who, to understand what that means? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's more about carbon is measured in, in weight. Um, so if you think about the weight of uh, the CN Tower, okay, mm-hmm. um, the, the uh, Ontario alone, Ontario, the Ontario um, population creates enough textile waste in landfill um, that is in weight this, the equivalent of seven CN Towers. That every, paints a picture. Every year. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Or enough to um, fill the Rogers Center. Which is the largest stadium here in Toronto yeah. for our international listeners. Yes. That's that's amazing. And what about water? I know water is another really significant huge, issue. Huge, huge from a pollution and a consumption and now with microfibers. So um, so on the consumption side of things, um, fashion requires a lot of water to, to produce um, from farm uh, to finished product. And the average cotton T-shirt uh, requires anywhere from, you know, four to 700 gallons of water to make, which is, you know, seven to 12 bathtubs full of water Um, from a pollution perspective uh, if you think about an Olympic size swimming pool holds 2,500 tons of water the textile industry pollutes 5,640,000 Olympic size swimming pools of fresh water every year Wow yeah 
Um, and then the microfibers. So uh, a lot of our um, polyester synthetic garments that we wear, um, when we wash them, the microfibers shed, they're invisible, um, and they can't be caught in any sort of uh, existing filter filtration system so they're getting into um, not just the oceans but into the Great Lakes and that's affecting uh, all kinds of species including humans because now we're eating fish that are full of microplastics and microfibers and those are just a few of kind of like the really the really big issues and I know fashion takes action is doing a lot to raise awareness Sarah you've had the pleasure of traveling to Copenhagen for a lot of environmental summits can you paint us a picture of where are some of the other organizations like this is a global issue is it not who else is 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 working to inspire awareness around the world well, I think um, it is important to address that this is a, a global industry issue. It's not about, you know, one or two brands or a handful of brands. It's, you know, we all need to collaborate and, and work together to to change this machine that's been operating this way for so long. Um, you know, and the, the Copenhagen Fashion Summit is a is one event, you know, that's held um that brings us together to to start having these discussions and sharing resources and lifting the tide um, or being the tide to lift all boats, as the saying goes. Um, but it also makes me really proud of what we're able to do with, you know, at Fashion Takes Action with the WEAR conference, you know, that's held every fall, um, which provides such a great opportunity. And it's an interactive event where we sit down and collaborate and brainstorm um, solutions to the problems that each of us are are facing. Um, and I know there's some um, kind of like high profile, if you will, activists globally. Uh, Livia Firth, Colin Firth's mm. wife, has been an advocate of of green fashion for for quite some time. She's a really important voice in the industry, and um, you know I think a lot of people are much more comfortable having the discussion on uh, sustainable fibers. Right. Um, and maybe uh, avoiding the issue of, of a living wage. And so she definitely um, takes that part quite seriously and, and doesn't hesitate to steer the conversation back to that fundamental truth that, um, you know, we're using organic cotton, um, you know, in factories where workers are not making anywhere close to a living wage. Well, and the the living wage is a is an excellent segue to fashion revolution, which is an organization. It's a week. It's a movement. Kelly, can you talk a little bit about the the history of fashion revolution because it's celebrating its fifth anniversary this year? Yeah. So on April twenty fourth, two thousand thirteen. Um, the greatest, largest, um, greatest, not positive, greatest in terms of biggest mm. uh, fashion industry tragedy uh, occurred, which was the collapse of the Rana Plaza factory in Dhaka, Bangladesh. Um, and we all can remember, I think, the front pages of, of the newspapers. Um, it was devastating. It was, it was devastating. So um, over 1,100 uh, people were killed and thousands more were injured. And um, and I think, you know, so fashion revolution evolved out of the need to honor um, the victims of that tragedy and at the same time to start um, 
you know, raising awareness, but also demanding that the brands be more transparent uh, in terms of their storytelling and their narrative and their reporting or what, however they're engaging their stakeholders about who makes our clothes, who makes their clothes, and um, sort of being uh, better, you know, in terms of traceability, understanding their supply chains and knowing sort of beyond that first tier, really knowing their supply chains and then in, and then in turn um, communicating that back to the consumer. So Fashion Revolution's been a great way to empower consumers and brands, really. And who started Fashion Revolution? Because it is an organization as well in the UK, I believe. Yeah, it is. It's now a global. Um, it's a global campaign with over a hundred countries participating, um, but it is headquartered in the UK. Um, and we had the pleasure at Fashion Takes Action of actually being the Canadian country coordinator for the first three years. And Sarah, Sarah worked closely with us on on those campaigns as well. One of our members now, based in Edmonton, is is currently running uh, the campaign this year. Um, but yeah, so it's great to have so much global um, support for for this week. That's this year is is the twenty third of April to the yeah, and it's always in April around yep. the the Rana Plaza. It used to be a day. It used to just be Fashion Revolution Day, and then a couple of years ago, it evolved to a week. So, which is amazing because yeah. that's that's the tide moving, right? Yeah. Now, Sarah, you have been to the Rana Plaza site. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Uh, my partner and I traveled there in the fall of 2014, so a year and a half after the, the tragedy, and we did so in support of an organization called Sripur Village that's been working in the area for over 30 years, supporting women and, and children. Wow. And so in the wake of the tragedy, they were in a position to, you know, to um, support the families that, that really needed it. Um, in advance of traveling there, we we really didn't know what to expect. We, it was hard to research in advance. You know, if we'd be able to have access to the site itself, or if we would be welcomed to the site itself. So, and um, how big is the site? Like in terms of like, is it a football field? Mm-hmm. Is it like what's the scale of what you saw? Yeah, it's um, it's maybe a couple of football fields. It's sort of an L-shaped space. And it's just a, a heap of rubble. I mean, much of it has been cleared away, but there's still, you know, everything that you'd imagine at a, at a garment factory can be found in, in the rubble still. You brought me a piece of that rubble back, actually. Yeah, I brought Cal uh, a, a little mm-hmm. piece of it as a, as a souvenir. It's a touchstone, right? It's a touchstone, <gasps> literally. Conversations I remember having with people around the Rana Plaza disaster, especially as people who were, you know, alert in in the 80s and we were aware of sweatshops and there was kind of this this movement then around awareness. The fact that there were still labor catastrophes happening. I, I knew many people who were who were quite shocked by that, where they thought sort of mm. assumed that the whole sweatshop industry had had dissipated how would you respond to people who feel that way well i am coming away from that trip with a deeper understanding of how important these labor opportunities are for women especially mm-hmm. um, fashion is a feminist issue the majority of garment workers are are women um, and 
and as important as it is to support um, local designers and and Canadian and American manufacturing and design, um, we do need to still consider the extended um, family that we have in the global fashion manufacturing community and um, work to ensure that they have their basic needs met in terms of safe spaces and the appropriate infrastructure, the appropriate health care, the appropriate child care, and at the very least, a living wage. And so the answer isn't necessarily to take labor out of the developing world or worlds, um, because, you know, having having spoken to many of these women directly, um, I just have a, a different perspective on on what it means for them to be able to contribute to the family home to get out of the family home and have a sense of financial independence that comes from from these opportunities that's such a powerful point because i think there's a lot of dialogue around bringing manufacturing back to you know in canada we talk about bringing manufacturing back about not wanting to go offshore but that would also of course rob these communities of a huge amount of infrastructure that they rely on and really it's about making sure that that infrastructure is is legal and respectful and maintaining human rights as well as balancing the the local can, like local, our local economies as well. Kelly, did you find after after Rana Plaza that there was there was surprise that it happened? Did you were you at all shocked that people were kind of a, a, like a surprise that such a thing could still happen? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't uh, for me personally. It wasn't really a surprise, um, but yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people were familiar with some of the brands of the '80s who were who were caught uh, with you know child labor and sweatshops, and and they sort of felt like it went away. Um, but in fact, you know, according to the U.S. Department of um, Labor, fifty uh, percent of factories, even in the U.S are violating at least three um, labor standards, labor, labor laws. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that they're sweatshops, but they're, they're in violation. They're in violation, yeah. And so this isn't an issue that just exists in the developing countries. This actually exists here. You know, even in Canada, there's so many workers who are, you know, f- sort of forced to work in these, you know, dark basements without any sort of windows or, or, or natural light. Um, and they're working 18 to 20 hours a day to put put out collections. Um, and, you know, and so it's, it, it happens here. Um, but yes, I think Rana Plaza... Um, was the catalyst for for a lot of this um, awareness and change. I think that whenever there's a catastrophe, the the silver lining is there is hope. There's Mm -hmm. awareness, there's action. We know differently. We can do differently. Where are we seeing the tide shift? What are the activities that fashion revolution is is doing around the world? Where are we seeing consumers start to behave differently or think differently? And and what if someone's listening and thinking, oh my gosh, like I need to, I need to do differently, I need to know differently, what are some things that people can be aware of that can do? The the initial um 
you know, statement or initiative that, you know, Fashion Revolution put forward was the Who Made My Clothes campaign. And it can be as simple as just remaining curious as a consumer and not being afraid to ask the basic questions. You know, where is this coming from? Who is making it? Um, and I think that the momentum of fashion revolution speaks to our, you know, general, you know, eagerness and, and readiness for fashion to mean more. We know that it means more than our reflection in the mirror. We know that there's so many other people involved in, in who, you know, are making our clothes. Many hands. Many hands. Many all over hands the world. contribute. Mm-hmm. And the timing was great, too, because of social media, right? Like, really, I mean, you think about... Instagram and Facebook and just how many people are using these platforms and it's a great way to really be asking this question instead of just sending a letter or email to to the brands and asking them these questions it's a public um, question that's being put out there so the brands are held a little bit accountable to having to answer those questions which is amazing because that's how change happens exactly right like social media as you say we're living in such a powerful time where it can it can instigate change kelly what's happening with fashion revolution week you know what are some of the activities that have happened what are things that have happened in the past how mm-hmm. are people mobilizing during that time well they really encourage events to actually take place as well where you can interact and engage with people and so in the past we've done um, we did this really great one year we did the sew-in where we um, collected secondhand um, textiles and cut them into squares and we had all the fashion schools were involved um, and then we did a public uh, signing as well where you people would write messages on these squares of fabric and then we'd sew them together into a chain that represented the sort of the, the, the supply chain, but the human mm. side of the supply chain of the fashion industry. Um, so that was a really great sort of uh, year campaign that we did. Um, this year, Fashion Revolution has partnered up with the Global Fashion Exchange and um, with River Blue. So they're encouraging the country coordinators to host clothing swaps. So Fashion Revolution has sort of gone beyond now the just the sort of the, the labor where they started was with labor, but now they're looking at uh, fashion from a more holistic perspective and looking at all of the impacts and recognizing that the textile waste piece is a huge one. So so they're encouraging countries to um, host clothing swaps and then at the same time um, to do a screening of the documentary film River Blue. Which, if you haven't seen it, is absolutely a powerful piece of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. If I'm listening and I'm like, you know, I want to do something. What are resources people can can go to? Because I I think when people when when people hear about this, they either turn off and go, I can't even manage. Like mm. it's like it's an iceberg topic, right? Totally. Like it's kind of like one of those. It's so behemoth. I just want to curl into the fetal position <laughs> because there's too much to do. So I'm going to yeah. you know let my eyes roll back in my head. What are some tangible resources or like if I'm going to do just one thing or if you're going to consider just one element, where do you direct people? Sarah, where do you where do you send people for inspiration? What's one thing people can do to think differently? Um, there's a quote that comes to mind that that is often shared on social media by Vivian Westwood. And that's just to simply buy less, choose well and make what you have last. So, you know, be selective. You know, I think we're moving away from the concept of fashion as a, a trend-based entity, you know, as we see diversity and beauty represented in the media in different ways, we, you know, we understand that 
that it all that it all works and to do and dress in a way that you know suits us the best buy well buy good quality um, choose what you genuinely love and work to extend the care or the life of your of your garments by taking care of them. Mm-hmm. That Ms. Westwood is a wise, wise, yeah. wise creature. Yeah. And there's so much in there that, that we could even talk more about because I know we're going to... Would, this will be a topic that we unpack yeah. in in different ways in future episodes. What about you, Kelly? Where yeah. can people where can people feel like they are learning more, doing more? Yeah, and I think a lot of people think automatically that they have to all of a sudden, you know, um, completely take everything out of their closet and replace it with sustainably made garments, and that's not the case at all. Um, and and most most people couldn't afford to do that anyway. So um, to Sarah's point, I mean, as well, like caring for your garment is a huge part of it, right? So at least half the impact, the environmental impact of a garment, happens once we once we've purchased it. So how we care for it, you know, so things like washing in cold water, doing full loads of laundry, using eco-friendly detergents, hanging to dry, um, will go a long way. And then what we do with our garments at the end of life. So are we actually, you know, are we aware that our stained and torn garments actually have a purpose and that those need to also be donated to the bins instead of going into the garbage, which a lot of people do. They don't know how to mend. They didn't pay enough money for it. They have no emotional attachment to it, so they throw it in the garbage. But we do have something at Fashion Takes Action that we call the seven R's of fashion. And so it sort of takes those three R's of reduce, reuse, recycle, um, which is still important and reduce by all means is the ultimate. Um, But looking at these other four R's, so research, So we all have smartphones now. It's so easy for us to look up a brand. And you can tell if a brand's being transparent based on what's on their website. Mm -hmm. And there's apps out there as well, like Good On You is a great app where you can actually look into a brand's transparency and, and see Um, how they're doing and how they've been rated. Um, Rent is another great one. And there's so many really cool businesses that are popping up now. Such a great trend. Yeah, So great. Um, Repurpose. So taking something old and turning it into something new and then repair, you know, and that's a really important one because not a lot of us know anymore how to sew, you know, so button falls off. We don't know how to sew it back on or we don't have the tools to do that. So that's another big important thing that we could be doing. Well, I'm going to end it there because that, I mean, there was so much to kind of digest in that. And if people go to uh, fashiontalks.ca, we'll list like the the seven R's and have more information about the things we've talked about. Ladies, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I like to end the podcast the same way every time, which is if you could only wear one outfit for the rest of your life, climate notwithstanding, and we're not going to hold you to it. Sarah, what would you wear? Oh, gosh. I have a big archive to, to boil down, but I would have to say um, maybe the most meaningful piece of clothing I own used to be owned by Bob Hunter, the founder, the Canadian founder of Greenpeace. And I have a T-shirt that I bought at an auction that used to be his. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Either that or an Evan Bedell play suit. Nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Kelly, what For about sure. you? Um, definitely something vintage or from the 80s, which I guess is technically vintage. Uh, but yeah, definitely something that wasn't made new to me or newly for me, I guess. So I love it. Yeah, Guys, thank you so much for being here. Kelly, if people want to follow you or learn more about Fashion Takes Action, where can they find you? Uh, well, we're at fashiontakesaction.com, but on Instagram, we're Fashion Takes Action, and I'm Kelly Eco Fashion. Amazing. And Sarah, what about you? I'm sarahj.ca and at sarahjstyle. Awesome. 
Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. You can follow me at This Is Donna B, and you can follow the podcast at Fashion Talks Podcast. I love hearing from you, feedback and show ideas. Please keep them coming. A big thank you to CAFA, our partner with this podcast. You can find out more about the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards at C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. That's at CAFA Awards. And thanks to our wonderful sound engineer today, Christian Ryan and Margarita Brighton our production coordinator if you enjoyed today's episode please tell people about it it really helps us get the word out there and if you're listening on apple Podcasts, please take the time to rate and review us it really really helps and uh, we'll give you a shout out on the next podcast thank you so much for listening and spending this time with me until next time this is donna bishop at fashion talks